when you start a sentence, them, those, or they, whatever, nine times out of 10, the next thing coming out of your mouth is gonna be jacked up. <laughs> it's like, that's, why, that's why the easiest way I can put that because you're about to put a label on a whole bunch of people. Have you met all those people? No. The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to Village Squarecast. This is Vanessa Rouse. Thanks for joining us for Political Football Inc. with the God Squad. Today we're going to talk about the political branding of everything and everyone. I'm sure you see it too. These days, politicians aren't the only ones who are asked to state their opinion on every single political disagreement in the headlines. Now it seems like every religious, nonprofit, and for-profit company has to pick a side in our cold civil war. Are you us or are you them? So today we're going to explore this phenomenon and ask, is this really good for anyone and might there be a better way? Facilitating this discussion is God Squad regular, Father Tim Holita of St. Thomas More Co. Cathedral. Now, before we get started, just a couple quick shout outs. Funding for this podcast series is provided through a grant from Florida Humanities with funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Also, the Village Square is a proud member of the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts that examines what's broken in our democracy and how we can work together to fix it. All right, now it's time for me to turn it over to Father Tim Holita for Political Football Inc. with the God Squad. Here's Father Tim. Thank you. So welcome to everybody. I want to introduce everybody. I'm Father Tim. I'm from the Co-Cathedral of St. Thomas More. We'll start on my right. I'm Stephanie Posner. I'm from Temple, Israel. Gary Schultz. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist. Jermaine White. I'm a minister at Truth Gathers. All right. Welcome, Jermaine. Thanks for pinch hitting. So <laughs> he said he's a little nervous. I think he can handle it. When I first saw him, I said, man, you're really tall. And he goes, I drink a lot of milk. <laughs> uh, so today we're talking about, I, I'll be honest, I don't, I don't have very clear um, ideas. I think this is a very interesting topic um, that, that it's something that's become more prevalent lately. Um, businesses, churches, and so on, standing up, speaking out on these issues uh, kind of demands from the online crowd. What's your stance on this or that? Um, and I think a lot of us, we might have, we might think we have a stance, but I want, I want you to, I'm going to read these couple uh, data points to you. More than half of American workers say they support business leaders speaking out on politics, according to a new survey. So most people in the United States are, are okay. Like, yes, I think if you ask them the question, do you think businesses should speak out on politics and issues, they say yes, absolutely. But less than one-third of Americans support a company's leadership speaking out on politics when leaders are not advocating for a position the worker holds. Right? <laughs> I think we've heard that before. We've seen that before. So, you know, what really is the issue then? Like, we're okay with it if someone supports what I support, agrees with what I agree, uh, but when they don't, I wish they would just be quiet and they shouldn't talk about it. And we hear this often, right? Like, I don't think they should talk about it. They should keep politics out of this. As a, as a minister, I hear this often as the church. Keep politics out of church. Keep politics out of church. Uh, then those same people will want to advocate for this or that uh, issue. So, again, it all depends on what politics you're promoting often. So, I want to ask just our first just first question, just a basic question. What, what do you think should businesses, should they speak out on issues and politics, are there any limits in your mind to that? Um, what does that look like in your opinion? Oh, okay, I'll go first. Um, so it's interesting because I, I think I can speak as an individual, not on behalf of all of the Jews in the world, but as an individual, 
I don't have an issue knowing um, where a business owner sort of leans. Um, I think it really does also depend on the size of a company, um, how that in, that business owners' work ethic and business ethics relay down to all of the employees as well. But I don't mind knowing if an organization has an issue with, for example, selling Konica products because they think that um, they don't want them in their store. There's a multitude of reasons why, but that's fine with me. I just don't have to shop there, right? I know. No, I'll build on that, and I'll, I'll be clear to say too, I'm speaking for me and, and, and only me when it comes to that, but when you think of, of yes, businesses in, in general, I mean, if they want to promote a certain viewpoint or to stand up for something, at least lets us know when it comes to that, I do tend to find it pretty worrisome. I try not to be cynical about it because again, we're talking about businesses where they're trying to make the most money. And so I tend to look at that kind of step back and, and never really know if a business actually believes what they might be endorsing or they're just hoping that the majority of their customers will support it and continue to support the business. And I think it's that kind of, of in general, lack of trust when it comes to your consumer base and looking at a business that, that to me is the problem when everything becomes politicized. And again, you're looking at a business and the main point is to make money. The, the question always becomes why and do you really believe this and why are you doing this? And most of the time those, those answers aren't readily available. To kind of build on the... Uh my two uh, co-speakers, uh, I think, yes, it, it's okay for a business to do that. But to build exactly to what you were saying, I think it comes all down to their target market. Yeah. What are they doing at that time? Are they, is it in their mission, mission and vision? Like if you look at a Chick-fil-A, what they stand for, and they hold to that. If you don't believe in that, they're like you said, don't spend your money here. Uh, do you have other companies just like it's kind of the flavor of the month where we're going to stick our foot over here because this demographic is doing X. So we're going to try to capture some of them. But we're also going to put our toe over here because this other demographic is doing Y. How can we get as much value capture from what we're saying? How much news can we generate? What can we do to hit our overall mission of giving our shareholders the, mo the most money? And I think us as consumers, we kind of sit back and like, okay, I don't like that, so I'm not going to spend money here. I love that, so I'm going to go do money over here. And as employees, if it's so much against you, they're, uh, if they're making so much money, they're like, okay, just leave. Can, can I add on that just a little bit? Because I know that there are some businesses as well, um, whether they're uh, in person or online, where um, I know that they give a portion of their sales to nonprofit organizations. Um, feeding children, for example, is, is a great one. So how do we balance that difference, right? Do we know all the ins and outs of that organization? Maybe not, but do we wanna, wanna support an organization that's giving to charity? Where's that line, right? Who's, who's, who's running that charitable organization? We, we don't know. Um, I, I think it adds another piece of that to it. Right. Well, no, and, and to build on it, I think that's a great point. And, and to me, again, where it, when you begin to explore that and recognize how particularly larger businesses have their, have their tentacles out in so many different things, which most people are likely, I'm going to agree with some of this. I might not want my money to go over here. It, it does become very difficult to be consistent to find companies that would completely reflect your values. To kind of put a button on it, if we're, what, what are we expecting from these companies? We know they're out there to make money, and are we trying to find a company that wholly lines up with our values? I can just look at my house, like literally my house, and I don't think everybody values line up. So it's, what are we looking for out of the companies, and 
how are we going to speak with our dollars when, when, when it comes to that? I do think it's going to be a lot of uh, kind of back and forth as they jockey back and forth to see who's, who's here, who's there today and tomorrow. So I think, uh, I'll just weigh in a little bit. I, I, I think you run a lot of risk if you're a business owner and you start weighing, like wading into these sort of issues. Because like Jermaine just said, like when I go to Whataburger, like if you ask me like, what does the manager or the regional manager of the area of Whataburgers think about these particular issues? I don't know. And I don't really want to know because. <laughs> me neither, I love uh, Whataburger. Yeah, all I want. I, I agree with that. I just want that bacon cheeseburger. And if I find out that the bacon cheeseburger money is going to something that I have a hard time with or whatever, then I'm not going to want to eat there anymore or I'm going to feel guilty about it. And I really just, I just want to have a bacon cheeseburger. I mean, is that too much to ask, you know? Can I have like one area of my life? But on the other side of that, though, is, is this kind of expectation that, that I think can be a good thing, right? That we kind of want ethical practices. So if I, if I found out that perhaps, you know, the farmers that were, involved in picking the lettuce uh, that goes on my burger or the tomatoes or any of the any of the products that I'm purchasing, if there's some kind of unethical thing going on, is that important for me to know, right? And, and do, we, do we have a power as a consumer to kind of help force change or bring about more ethical practices and businesses? So in that, in that way, then I kind of do feel, I, I feel like I'm kind of shirking my responsibility by not knowing. But if I'm perfectly honest with you, I don't want to know. I want to eat, I don't want to know about it. And, and isn't that where evil finds its place, though, too, right? That someone can get away. What's that? Yeah. I said that's good. Yeah, but I mean, really that it's better for me to not know how my shoes were made or how my phone was made or any of that. Like, I don't want to know all of that. And that's better for those who are, are maybe taking advantage of others, right, to produce something. So this is where I'm saying I don't have it clear. I, I, on the one hand, I don't um, want to know. Um, and on the other hand, uh, I feel like I should. But I'm not going out looking. If you know what I mean. I'm not going to ask Whataburger, <laughs> see your fields where the lettuce is coming from. I want to see it. Right? I don't, I don't want to know. So here's a question. What, what should businesses do if they get pressured? Because often businesses, they try to mind their own business. They'd rather just show, sell razor blades or you know, napkins or whatever it is that they're selling. Um, I think as Jermaine said, they're looking to make a profit. That's their purpose. What should they do? If they're, if they're the mob online or whatever, you say, what's your stance on this issue? You mean if they don't wish to share that information publicly? Like if they're trying to stay away from it altogether? Sure. I think they can. I think they can say, we value our employees and their perspectives. We have our perspective. We all have the individual right to vote, and that's how we make our choices. And I think for business owners, you know, they, they do have to consciously think about who they're voting for because it, it's going to affect how the day-to-day -day of their business is run. But I think they have every right to say, no, I'm not, I don't want to put anyone in a box, right? I don't want to polarize because that's, it continues to polarize the nation. It's like just another way um, for people to do that. So I get a person saying, no, I don't, I don't want to say anything at all. It's my, my choice. And I think that's important, not just for employees. I mean, when you consider that and, and a, a care for your employees who might agree or disagree with you, but for your customers as well. Right. And again, it comes back to the ultimate, which in my mind, goal of a business is to make money, to make a profit. I hope there's ethical issues where you're serving a community, where you're doing good things with, with all of that. But when you're trying to have the broadest base, both of employees and customers, I think that's perfectly legitimate. Yeah. I kind of see it two ways. I think, uh, one, if the question or the issue ties in with your mission, vision, and values, which is stated online, and that's what our company stands for, and that question comes, then you address it. Hey, we believe X, Y, and Z. That's what our company was founded on. When everybody took the job here, they read that, they know that, that's who we are. But if it has nothing to, nothing, nothing to do with that, then do like, like politicians, everybody, just pivot. Pivot to something else. So you know what? That, that isn't in our purview. We really don't speak to that because we have people on both sides of the letter six or nine. It just depends on where you're standing at on the floor. 
So we have people on both sides of it, so we're just kind of staying out of it. And it's a personal preference. So I think they can pivot, or if it speaks to what your company's doing, then address it. So I think sometimes when this comes up is, um, I just think there is an example I know recently, but let's just say um, this has been going on lately, a banking, um, PayPal, um, which, are, which are necessities for to function today in society. So if you're, let's say, running a social platform or promoting some sort of cause or something, do we think that the banks have a right to not do business with, with particular people based on what they're promoting or their issues or their values? I certainly don't have an issue with a bank choosing to not do business with nations of ISIS. Um, I think if there's a terrorist organization that wants to put money in a bank, I wouldn't want to bank with them. And I, I probably would want to know that they're investing my funds with a, a terrorist organization. I think there's a recognition that there are things that we would want to say, yes, you, you should not support. Finding that line, however, and recognizing that almost no one is going to agree where that line is, is what makes that, that very difficult. Because I would completely agree, Stephanie, with what, with what you said, and I would want to know. And yet there are going to be different people who draw that line at, at different places. And, and we, I think we have to be very, very careful about that. Air quotations, okay, so. Uh, being an officer of J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, uh, in, in answering this question, I'm going to answer it from from my standpoint, but also just kind of put just kind of put some of the things out there. When it comes to terrorism and different things like that, banks can't do business with them. Like that's federal law. It's like you know, we go through all the, the Patriot Act and all these different acts are put there to catch you when you're doing that. But there's another thing that banks have, and you can step outside of J.P. Morgan, Regions, or any other local bank. It's this. It's, it's a reputational risk. Like, do you really want to be associated with a company that does X? It could be just, I don't mean the church, but it could be X marked to like, even because everybody had probably with all the signs and everything like that. So looking at a business like that, it's a legitimate business. There's a, there's a demographic of people who go there, but do I really want that to be associated with my bank and my brand? Does that match up with, like I said, for our mission, and vi our mission, vision, and values? It's like, is that our target market? And then I think, once again, it comes to dollars and cents. The bank's gonna look at it like, okay, this population is doing X, and this is who we're going after, and this population is doing Y. We don't want to deal with Y. So for reputational risk, we're not going to do that loan. We don't want to bank those industries. Those are high industry. Those are uh, high risk industries. And then when it comes to terrorists, drugs, or anything that's, that's like that, because truly, from the companies like that, you can't bank them because it's a federal crime. We can't be a part of a crime. Right. So you stay away from all those things. I hope that kind of helped with. The, that's good. That's good. A little Thank bit you, of an educational piece. <laughs> so I think yeah. There, I mean, I, so the the question is how these laws are formed too. And I mean, I'm not I'm not for. Uh, allowing terrorists to bank with your company or whatever. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to point, I'm trying to point out the difficulty on, let's say, Twitter, for example, recently purchased by Elon Musk and immediately started receiving threats from Europe that if stuff, certain things were on their platform, um, they would be banned in their countries and so on. So on the one side, people would cry out, well, what about free speech? Um, the other side would say, well, this is a danger to our, our society. So I don't, you know, and I think, I think Gary, you said, I mean, there's a line that's drawn um, and it's, it's not just, it's not just banking, it's in anything. There's a lot of, you know, people can effectively use their, their, their commerce, their economies, their, their business, what they offer, their services to kind of shut down a particular movement or lend support to it. Um, and sometimes at the risk of losing their consumers. So that, this is like, to me, a very interesting thing, right? Like, and we've talked about this in another Village Square event several years ago. Where does the line be drawn between personal freedom and, and rights, right? Where does a business have a right to deny service? Um, and when does someone have a right to that person providing that service? This is a challenging thing. Does anyone have any comments or thoughts on that? Make you think a little bit. 
it is a tough line. And, you know, I don't know necessarily about the businesses and, and deciding not to serve people. I mean, I, when it comes to something like Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, some of the things that are showing up on those platforms are showing up as paid advertisements um, they don't necessarily do a great job always of tracking. I know we think our phones hear everything we do. Um, mine shows up all kinds of weird stuff that I've even just thought about. Um, but um, I think the difference is, is that those are showing up in our face. We don't get the choice to say, I want to see this advertisement about, um, you know, trying to be not polarizing, um, but a, sp a specific candidate, for example, a political candidate that I don't agree with. Um, if I purchase a newspaper, I am consciously purchasing a newspaper knowing that that article may be in there. But if I'm on my personal feed and the people that I follow are not political and a political statement comes up in front of me, I think that crosses the line because I haven't chosen to follow anybody in that realm. Does that make sense? Yes, maybe. And also, I've, I find that extremely annoying I, when, when you're on social media and when those kind of things happen. But I'll also go back to, to use a social media platform is to engage in something that I don't have to use. Right. And, you're, and you're doing it according to the owner and, and the employees and the way that that's being being run and even by getting on those platforms you are in a sense tacitly at least accepting those terms of of engagement and I don't know that there's a, a good way that there should be a way around that I, mean, I, I think it's if it's their platform and again that's not a public good so to me I see something like Twitter's very different than the banking industry where businesses and individuals essentially are required to use that in order to engage in society. As much as we may feel that way, we don't need to be on Twitter or TikTok. And I feel like, specifically with Twitter, it seems to be the platform for controversial um, folks to really hit their points across and do some damage. I, I find it, I, I'm actually not on Twitter anymore because of that. It, it's, I find it pretty disturbing. Um. Not to sound like the teacher up here, but uh, I got a, a master's in digital marketing and I'm about to get another one from FSU in uh, business analytics. And all of those tie in to exactly what we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> so just so a lot of what comes up in your feed, it used to be it's like something else you clicked on and it's uh, it's an algorithm. Right. The algorithms track all of those different things. So or somebody you're connected to, it, there's a connection somewhere. And now it is with the, with the voice data recognition. It's so much information they can't do anything. With it. So when they're data mining it. So when that information is coming out. And when you do talk, it is coming up on your feet. It's like the, uh, like, not, not clickback, I can't even think of the term right. Anyway, the, the recalling when you But what about when you think? I mean, I literally, <laughs> like, it's creepy. I, I literally thought of something briefly, and it but, but popped up on my, come on now. That's, that, that's the point. It's like all the information with the, with the analytics, it knows you better than you know yourself. And then when you play all those different games, all the cookies and all that stuff is building a model of you that knows what you're gonna buy before you buy it. It's like the best one, and I'm, I'm gonna get off this point, it's diapers and beers. It's like, that's one of the biggest things in analytics. Who knew those two things went together until somebody went and put it in and the computer kicked it out? When, when men would go to buy diapers, when the wife sent them to buy diapers, I mean, they, they would get beer. It's like, and so it's like you, you, you and, and so grocery stores are set up or uh, set up to find that kind of thing. So all of that plays into those. So when we get online and we look at something, things you're not even thinking about. But if you buy this item, then you're going to need this. If you buy this item, you're going to need this. So all these things are coming up. So if you're looking at this topic, this politician might have said something about it and you know this person. So it's pulling that web together and it's dropping them in front of you and it's something to make you. So because begin. I have friends of all different faiths, this is the funny one is I sometimes get advertisements um, from different churches about how I can be saved. And I mean, 
I'm Jewish. So it's just, and, and, and I, I fully respect my Christian friends, my Muslim friends. Like I, I get it. Like I, but it's just why, like I, I, I don't want to see that stuff. So maybe I just need to not be on social media. So, this is a whole nother conversation. Hold on. Oh, yeah. Let, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I, Someone explained to me why it is that when I go on this particular news source, I get ads for these Ukrainian women. Like, it's like <laughs> because they heard that you were Ukrainian. That, that might not be the website. No, it's like you it's visit. like no, but it's like yeah, we'll keep it a secret. It's like you know, age is a number. I'm like what? <laughs> so I'm like, what did I click on? This demographic <laughs> keeps popping up. <laughs> I don't understand. It's making me nervous. <laughs> I think some of what I see is proximity to FSU. I'm guessing. I don't know. <laughs> so we don't have a lot of time for this, but but I um, want to ask this question: the, When this spills over to your congregation, um, I know we talked about this a few months ago, a little bit, but. What do you do and how do you handle it in your congregation on, on a, when you're pressured by a people to take a particular stance? Or how do you handle it when, when your own faith uh, in your mind dictates a particular stance and people in your congregation disagree or there's just a lot of diversity of opinion? I mean, how do you, how do, how do you manage this as, as a leader in your community? So th- this past week, the, the science journal Nature published an, an op-ed where they talked through a recent survey that was just released on the impact of their endorsement of Joe Biden in the 2020 election. And what that survey demonstrated was that it really led the majority of people to trust the science journal Nature less because they made that endorsement. And that makes sense when, when we think about it, in the sense of particularly those who disagreed with, with that endorsement, but even among some of those who would agree with the endorsement, found it troubling that a science journal would make that, that endorsement. So the op-ed talks through why they thought it was necessary and essentially says whether you agree or not in, in what we believe are extreme cases, we thought it was necessary to do this and essentially we would, we would do it again. And, and now, I would probably be more on the side of, I'm not sure that's where a science journal needs to go. But on the other hand, I appreciated the, the op-ed for the sense of, we believe that our values and our missions dictated that we take this stand, even if it upsets some people. And so think about that as, as a pastor, try to be as, as non partisan as possible because, of course, as a, as a Christian, to believe that Jesus is king and that we are members of his kingdom and that his kingdom is coming, those are all political realities, and the Bible speaks to those things, and there are certain issues that are spoken of a lot in Scripture. There are other issues that, that aren't. So, for example, when it comes to something like, like the sanctity of life, which I believe is, is directly addressed multiple times in Scripture, take a stand on that. On the other hand, I don't believe the scriptures say anything about how we should best tax people and, and what that should look like. Now, I have different political opinions about that, but it's all we look at that and say, much more willing, and we, we need to take a stand over here on what we need to take a stand on and speak truth and love and try to love in truth, but we need to be really careful, as careful as we can be, not to take the stand on those things that aren't on that same level. And I think that's sometimes where we get that kind of pressure, we get in trouble, we have to, to be willing to say, no, this is, this is where we are, this is why, and, and we're gonna try to be as consistent as we can with that. Because all we can do is try to be as consistent as we can, because of course we're human beings too. Yeah, and, and I think too, if you, if you consider all of our roles in our congregations, you know, we, teach people um, biblical text. We teach people biblical philosophy and and modern aspects of those traditions. Um, And so our jobs are not to say to our congregants, 
this is what it says, this is what we believe, this is how it's going to be, and there is no other. I mean, I come from a tradition of thousands of years of people arguing with each other about things, okay? So I think ultimately we teach our folks what our traditions say, and because God gave us all the right to choose for ourselves, we trust you to make those decisions that are best for you. But we shouldn't say, this is, this is the line. I actually take some issue with, um, my own tradition has a, a group that um, speaks out politically on some things, and, and they, I feel like it's, it speaks to our, our theme of justice in Judaism, but I think it, it walks that very fine line. You know, I have congregants who are very conservative, um, and I have congregants who are very liberal. Neither one of them is wrong. And when our traditions get involved politically, I think it polarizes people. And that's the last thing. There's way too much that brings us together that we should focus on tearing people apart that way. Yeah. I, good. I totally agree. Uh, we, we, actually, we, we both of you said a lot. Uh, in having some of those conversations, I, like, like you say, I, I pull to, this is what binds us together in our faith. And this over here might be my opinion, it might be this person's opinion, but this is an opinion. But this is what binds us together in faith, so I'm not gonna go against what our faith says. This is what our faith says, and I can show them where it says that, and this is why we believe what we believe. Now, when it comes to the, the back and forth about things that we don't talk about, it's like I go back to the six and the nine. It's like, as, as you move around in a circle, it's gonna change. Like, who, who's to say who's right? Who's to say who's wrong? And then I point out any time, when speaking to polarism, any time we, when you start a sentence, them, those, or they, whatever, nine times out of 10, the next thing coming out of your mouth is gonna be jacked up. <laughs> it's like, that's, why, that's why the easiest way I can put that because you're about to put a label on a whole bunch of people. Have you met all those people? No. So it, that's just the way I explain it. I work a lot with the youth. I, I break a lot of stuff down to the LCD. So <laughs> the lowest common denominator. That's the way I understand it. So it's, when we're having these conversations, I just, just think about it. Because uh, exactly what you said, at my house, on one side, which is a liberal, I'm on this side of the fence, arguing one way, and then when I go to the other side, I'm arguing the conservative way. I'm going back and forth between the two. I know they probably just sit there. I said, why don't I just move and y'all just yell at each other? But, <laughs> but, it's, just, but it's just that simple. I just kind of, I always go to the day, the day to them and the those. And if we can pull that out of it and just speak to this is what binds us together, and even in our arguments, Let's find the things we have in common and what we can pull out and what we can work together with and just lead with that and just, then just leave it there for them to make their decision because I get one vote, they get one vote, and we just keep it moving. So I think, um, thank you for all those insights. Those are good. Um, I think you can see this is a complicated thing, right? Can we agree? It's not very obvious, the answers sometimes. We want to um, take time now to open it up for any questions or Thoughts from our group? Oh, you got a mic coming. Hold on one second. You got a mic coming. It's coming at you. My name is Watch Mike. Out. <laughs> it is. He's a punter. Okay, my question is related to what we were just talking about, which is what goes on more and more and more is in the difference of opinions and so-called values. What happens is this side, whichever side it is, sees the other one as the other. How do we, as a community of humankind, overcome that tendency to look at people with whom we don't agree as the other? Uh, I was just saying, if, if, if you are a person of faith, I think you know that we are taught to embrace the other, right? We embrace, we, you include them. For, for Jewish tradition, you know, you, you embrace the, the, the other because like we were in the land of Egypt and we were the other, so we want to embrace like we're embraced. But even if you are not a person of faith tradition, 
you can be a person of human tradition and see a person for their value just because they are a human being. So uh, the conversations that happen, all the yelling and the screaming and the them and they and all of that, if we can take a step back and see that spark of humanity in people, spark of divine if you're a person of faith, and listen, shut our mouths for just a second and listen to what somebody else has to say, we might have some sympathy and understanding for it, and we might change our perspective. I love talking to people who are on the other side of the political spectrum from me. I love talking to my friends from other faith traditions because I wanna know what other people think. I think we just have to have respect for each other. Tough. did you, your last point, everything you said was great. Like your, your last point is kind of where I was thinking about going. It's like, you can't, I can't, when I talk to somebody about talking about things like that, not speaking to the mass, but the best way to find out is find somebody who is different, who don't look like you, who don't vote like you, who don't dress like you, and have a conversation with them. And don't focus on what's not the same. And like, uh, like I, I, I talk to the kids a lot. I talk to the kids, I say, if you back up far enough, you're gonna find something you have in common and start there. If you gotta get back to, we both breathe air. I like air, you like breathing air? I like breathing air too. It's just like start there and work your way back down. You will find in many instances, you have more in common than you have that's not in common. You have more things you do alike that you, then you don't. And then you start to see that person as a person. You humanize them and then start your conversation into some of the tough conversations. It's almost like an icebreaker, your introduction. Find out what we do well together. It's like we, there is something that we all can get behind and from there, let's build on where we're trying to go. No, and as a follower of, of Jesus Christ, I mean, that is exactly what Jesus leads us to do. It's a tragedy for anybody who would claim the name of Jesus who doesn't do that. I mean, Jesus leads us to, he commands us explicitly to, to love everyone and especially love to those who are different than you or might disagree with you. And love is a tangible, real thing. And that's based on the truth that every human being was created on purpose by God and has dignity and worth. I mean, those are fundamental values Think of, of particularly the image of God of everyone up here. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Matthew Isbell. Um, so I was kind of curious, there was a situation about a month ago where the uh, president of the Lutheran Church, the Missouri Synod, he, after the church has been sort of battling with some white nationalists and some of the different denominations like in Kentucky and Wyoming, he, the, the president has basically come out and said that anybody that's, a, you know, considers himself a, like a white nationalist, a racist, and some of these people have been trying to become leaders of congregations, they should be excommunicated from the church, the faith, and everything. They took a very hard stance on what they feel was like a, we kind of get to this issue of like, where's the line? And they clearly said, okay, that's the line. So what do you guys think about that? Like as a church, if a church has to deal with those sorts of very destructive elements, how do you deal with it trying to A, make sure you affirm your own faith beliefs, while also making sure you take a stand that doesn't risk alienating more people. Like maybe there's people on the fence who get upset by that, you know, so. Well, oh, can I answer, I'm sorry. I, you, sorry, white nationalism is in no way a Christian concept. And I think that if a, if a church Sorry to speak for my Christian friends, but I, I feel, and, and this would go for a synagogue as well. I think if someone comes in and says, this is my belief that I hate someone because we don't hate anyone, right? And just because somebody is a different color, a different faith, they look different, they dress differently, that is not a reason to, to not let them be a part of your congregation, but for somebody to say categorically, these people should not exist. Um, I think that we have every right to say that is the line we draw. We, we draw the line at hate. No, you may not enter the building. Sorry. No, amen. Well said. No, no, no applause, folks. No applause. Yeah, no applause. Thank you.
But, and, and I would also address there are all kinds of issues that as people of faith we ought to be willing to take a stand on even if it alienates people. And that is certainly one of them. So um, I'll answer this in my own way, I guess. Uh, Jesus, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a Catholic. Jesus wasn't just a nice guy. Um, you don't crucify Mr. Rogers. I don't think anyone ever wanted to kill him. Um, and, and I love Mr. Rogers. I'm not, that's not a knock on him, but I don't think anyone was <laughs> wanting him to shut up or we'll kill you. So uh, Jesus wasn't just like a friendly guy who just goes around approving everything. So he had stances. And um, our church has something called the catechism. We have doctrine. We have dogma. We have beliefs. And so it's clearly defined. So in, in our situation, it's very simple. Uh, because there's an authority structure present. And so that's just the way it works. So like if, if um, it's not just open to interpretation. Some things are. There's like degrees of authority in our church. Uh, but there's some things that, well, you hear the word dogma, which has a, which has a negative connotation. Um, but all of you have dogmas, I promise you. We just heard one um, and everybody applauded, right? We all have dogmas that we think we're going to draw a line here. Like this is the most important thing that we're all going to be united on. And that's, that's what we as Christians have, are certain truths that we believe, like, if you don't believe this, then you can't call yourself a Christian, right? And I would think, yes. Like, so for me, it would not be a difficult thing at all to be able to say, like, no, we're not okay with this, and you're out, or you cannot be a pastor, you cannot, you know. But the other thing, too, is our doors are always open. So people, whenever someone comes to me and says, you know, why can't I receive communion in your church? And I'm like, you can receive communion. I'll, I'm happy to help you do that. You just have to become Catholic. And they'll say, well, I don't want to be Catholic because I don't believe in this or that. And I'm like, well, all right. I mean, <laughs> then I guess you're not in communion with me. You know what I mean? And that's okay. And I can be okay with that. Does that make sense? Okay. I think the challenge is with some, and we've seen this recently, is some churches don't have as maybe, maybe as, as what, like a high ecclesial structure. And so it becomes more of an issue of who makes the shot? Who calls the shots here? And how does that all work? Um, thankfully, well, it, it has its own issues too. Believe me, having an authority structure, you know. But so, uh, good topic, particularly um, in what's going on in the state right now. And I speak of investment firms that are ESG and all the controversy of investment companies that started years ago, long before the current environment that decided we're gonna invest clients' money, but we're gonna to try to have other parameters on environmental standards, social standards, and find companies, make money for our clients, but yet um, have a conscience. Um, currently, some are saying that's really bad, or at least it's not, you know, I'm a state of floor retiree, I'm thinking my money's not gonna be invested that way uh, in the future, perhaps, because of, of some of the politics. So this thought of, of companies, but investment, is there something inherently bad given our conversation today of a firm that wants to invest and make stockholders money, but also wants to have a conscience for social and environmental issues? I, used to, I worked briefly in the financial services sector and um, there were mutual funds available that, that were conscious of these certain kind of values. So um, there was one, like the Knights of Columbus, for example, which is a Catholic fraternity, uh, fraternal organization. They, they're careful with their investments and where those investments go. There was one that was called Ave Maria Funds that was trying to invest in a, I guess, a Catholic-friendly way or something like that. Like, I don't see anything wrong with that. Of course, no one's imposing that on anybody either. Like, people can choose... And that may not be a better return. I don't, I don't know. I, mean, I didn't follow up on it. Um, but I think our, our friend from the, from the banking industry here might have more to say about it. But I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But I think this is the question, right? Like, so I think our governor, and it may, it's not just our governor, but other people are saying, okay, where is this money, this public money being invested in? And, uh, you know, and trying to keep an eye on that. This is, in a certain sense, no different than what you might be trying to do and what you might want to, where your dollars to go. I, I think this is it's challenging because who decides, right? Who decides where it goes? I think this is, I don't think any of us have an answer to that. If you do, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> All right, Jermaine. I'm going to res respectfully punt on, on, on that one, but I, I will say this. <clears throat> With, with anything, you as a consumer, you as uh, a person being able to make choices, 
when you have your money, your dollars, you can you can you can choose where they go. Some like, it might be something over here that's better that might get you more of a return. But if you feel strongly about something, you might go over here. And just 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 to go back to Chick Fil A, they have a line wrapped around the building two or three times. McDonald's has nobody in the drive-through. It's 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 like that's really breaking it down. But it's almost the same thing, not just for for, for what you're saying, but just in anything us as consumers. And once enough people pull away from anything, any for-profit company or anything is going to have to make changes or go out of business. So I think that's if you want to drive change, you vote with your dollars more than anything else. Even with voting, if you stop giving certain people money, they're going to change. If you start to sway back and forth with where your dollars are going, it's like you vote with your with your wallet. But I can't really get into what you're saying. But. I was going to just say, like, if you're talking about for for like the state and how the state is investing your funds, um, so just bigger picture. Um, the planet we live on is dying um, and we continue to kill it. Um, and so um, sometimes it's gonna take a mass decision to help make that change. I'll give you an example. Who here doesn't like the fact that you can't smoke in public? Interesting. <laughs> but, but that was, for some people, um, that was a real tough thing. You can't tell me where I can smoke a cigarette. You can't tell me that I can't buy cigarettes without taxing it out. You know, it's very expensive to buy a pack of cigarettes. And thank goodness, more and more people are not smoking. So I think if more and more people are put in a position where they have to learn about how their funds can help save the planet, perhaps they'll think twice. My name is Tom Taylor, and I'm going to start with this idea of, of prayer and the conflicting messages. There are things in the Bible, well, first of all, the Bible doesn't say anything about gun control. Um, but there are things I can read in the Bible that support an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, uh, and loving our neighbors, and thou shalt not kill. You know, but i got to figure that out. And just like I have to do that in my head, we need to do that in this room and in our community and our legislature. And it's not just, and I heard it's, it's very important, I think it's significant but not sufficient that we find common ground. But then we, oh, and then there's some differences. And do we just go, well, I agree to disagree but that doesn't really help us grow in our faith and grow in our quality of life. What we need to do is to deeply listen and reframe the challenge and do kind of problem solving. It's like that prayer that we're doing in our own head, we're doing it in our community. And so how is it that we can get beyond the common ground, agree to disagree, to find ways to move forward on these really tough issues? I think it's uh, difficult. <laughs> I think part of the issue is in our society, we don't have, I, and I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm, I'm just saying this is a difficulty. Um, there isn't like a set of values that we all can, I mean, they change all the time. I mean, the only ones that are enshrined in law, uh, I guess you can find we would say the Declaration of Independence, but that's not even law, really. It's just the Declaration of Independence. We Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. But those are pretty vague, right, when you get down to the concrete. So I think that's part of the challenge, um, is law is a reflection of value. It's a manifestation of value, right? If we have, for example, a law that says you can't, uh, every, every student must go to school, and if you don't, then you're negligent and you can go to jail for that. If you're a parent, you don't educate your children. That's a value, right? We believe education's good and everyone should have it and so on. Well, where, where is the government being informed by its values? So where do we look to, where does the government look to for its values? It's ultimately a reflection of us. And so this is the challenge. Like, how do we find common ground? Like, there's, there's going to be these debates and arguments forever, right? But we don't, there's part of the challenge here is that we don't have this trump card that we could play. Sorry to offend anybody by using that name. Um, but 
but we don't have this card that we can just throw down and say, I win no matter what. This is always, it's not that easy. Even if most of us here, I think there's some values we could all agree on right here in this room, but travel overseas, that may not be the case. So should we impose our values on them? So it's silly when people say things like the politicians, especially like, well, I don't want to impose my values on other people. That's what they do. (laughs) That's what politics is. It's power. It's power. So I don't know. Answer your question. How do we get beyond it? I don't know. (laughs) You all agree with me. How about that? Do whatever I say. But I I would say as a a pastor, you know, looking at at my church, I want to try to help people to follow Jesus, to understand who he is, to understand the scriptures that he gave us and to come together around that. I mean, that's that's my sphere of influence as a pastor, my primary sphere of influence in, in looking at that. And so as, as a faith leader, that's what we're trying to do, but we also live in a pluralistic society and believe very strongly that I want to have the freedom to, to worship Jesus and follow him, and I want other people to have the freedom not to do that as well because we live in a pluralistic society. But those are completely competing worldviews where we're going to disagree on a number of things in a way to go forward. And in a democracy, in a pluralistic society, we have to, at a certain point, agree to disagree and cheat each other with dignity or respect, or it's not going to work. One of those ways is going to trump the other. I'm going to use a a Christian terminology here. (laughs) Turn the other cheek. Sometimes you have to walk away. You can have the conversation over and over and over again, but if you know in your heart that you can't affect any change, if that person does not affecting change on you and the conversation goes nowhere, sometimes you do have to just walk away and rethink how to approach. My, my mindset went to, it's like we're talking about walking away, we're talking about Christ. It's in the conversations and we get the stalemates it's like, I, I can go back to me, like, just I, I'll just be transparent. Like, me and my wife, when we're talking about something, somebody has to submit in the conversation. Somebody has to humble themselves to, okay, in, we're, we're not going anywhere. So who's willing to submit for the common good of everybody? And like you said, you, when, when it came to smoking, it, it was pounding and pounding, and then they got it. It's like, okay, I get it. So how do we get to the I get it moment? Somebody has to submit, and sometimes... You might not get what you want, but if you got a working relationship, they might get what they want. Sometimes you get what you want, and that's how things go back and forth. But when everybody's polarized in their corners, and they see, I go back to it, the them, they, and those, and names going back and forth, we get nothing done. So how do we see this person over here? It's like, you know what? I know you don't have harm, like my harm in your mind, and I'm not thinking about harming you, but I see your point of view, you see my point of view. Let's work together to move to the next thing. And sometimes that might be you submitting before you ask somebody else to submit. Compromise is tough. Thank you. Okay. Uh, This is my first time attending one of these meetings, and I was very curious as to what actually happens because I'm very much involved in a special project. But I totally believe that Everything we say, everything we try to do, life is very simple. It's either one way or the other. I have good friends who think just the opposite of what I think politically. But we don't get into conversations because it would not be good. But I believe in the power of prayer. I had something happen in my life that turned my whole life around. And I strongly believe that man I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but that we can't solve any of these problems that are going on today. We can try to solve them, but it's impossible to do it without God's help. And I think we really need to pray and ask for some guidance and to give our leaders some guidance. Because at my age, and I'm no young chick anymore, but I I am so frightened for our country right now. And that's why I'm trying to get involved. Normally, I wouldn't even do anything like this. But I'm so scared about what is happening to our country today. And I think there's only one way out. And if we don't all get together and pray, uh, 
and see if God can turn this thing around and help us all work together and love each other. I mean, it's awful what's going on in the world today. So I'd like to know how important you think prayer would be to, to solve this problem. I think prayer is the number one thing. It's like, uh, how do you know where you're going if you don't get the right guidance? It's like, that's your GPS, your God positioning satellite. Um, so I actually don't think prayer is the way. Um, my tradition, we have a tradition of prayer, which sort of, we pray for the status quo, like um, we pray for the rain to continue in the months it's supposed to continue so the crops will rise. But we learn, we study, and I think through learning and teaching others is how we get to that place of helping to make the change. I, I'm not saying don't pray, don't get me wrong, but my tradition is not one where we can just say, God, please help us, we're gonna do this. It, it's not that simple. I think it's, it's a matter of action. And in Judaism, we are commanded to fulfill mitzvot. Mitzvot are, doesn't just mean good deeds, they are commandments. There are 613 of them, not just 10. And, and that goes for Christian tradition too, right? You, you guys have commandments that you fulfill. And I think it's through the action of fulfillment that we can communicate with others who, whether they have the same faith tradition or no faith tradition, and, and, and help to heal. Um, it's, my tradition is we are, we are challenged. Part of it is to fulfill tikkun olam, to heal the world. We're not allowed to stop until that happens, so. Well, no, it's, and as a Christian, it's both and. We absolutely should pray. We absolutely need God's help, and we absolutely need to live out our faith with, with God's help. And one of the ways that God works in the world is through his people and, and recognizing both of those things. I, I just want to touch on like one thing. I think uh, just from my understanding, you, you tell me if, if I'm wrong. It's like, I think when, for, for, for what, what I felt when she was saying, when she was talking about prayer and just like prayer, prayer to that, I'm going to quote somebody in the Bible, say faith without work is not dead. I mean, faith without work is dead. It's dead. And saying it's dead, like, and, and kind of studying through that, this is kind of how my mind works, excuse me. It, it talks about breath, like breath being blowing in the person. It's like an intimate thing. So in prayer time, in like whatever the situation is, getting intimate with whatever that situation is, learning the ins and outs and everything about it, just like you're saying about smoking. Once everybody learned the ins and outs of smoking, it was like, you know what? I probably shouldn't be doing that to my body. You know what? Our company probably shouldn't be doing all these different things. So getting to the ins and outs and getting personal with these things might help when you're having a conversation with somebody else and you're trying to pull them to your side of the argument. So I think what everybody's saying is just kind of ties together like that way. It's like not just kind of just as a generic term. Like if, if, I, if I'm wrong on that, I'm not. One comment you made that I find interesting. You're like, I'm just terrified about what's going on. I, I, um, I hear confessions, and I can't say anything much about that, but I'll just say this. <laughs> if you give me a couple bucks, I might share Then I'm just... <laughs> uh, if, I, you know, I hear people say something similar, let's just say in the confessional, like, I am just so worried about what's going on in the country, the left and what they're doing, the leftists and blah, blah, blah. And then, like, the next person, like, I'm so worried about what's going on in the country, the right, and what they're doing. And it's comical to me, because I'm like, huh. They're both afraid of each other, you know? <laughs> Who's winning? You know, I don't know. So I, I do, I'm, I mean, the world's been messed up. And I, I mean, there are problems in our country. There's also good things in our country. And I think, I think prayer is good. I'm a priest. <laughs> I believe prayer is good. But I think we, I think agreeing with Stephanie, too, we can't just, that's all that we do. We have to act. You know, we have to do something as well. So, yeah. Um, my name's Michael McBride, so I am Mike. Um, I want to go back to the them and they. It seems like this has evolved, especially in the political and business realm. How can we de-evolve it? How can we go back to the individual, the connections that you're talking about? Right here. Exactly what we're doing, I think, is how you do that. Um, 
like I didn't know these people before I started being on this panel. Um, I, I, I guess like 13 years ago, I did a, an interfaith, a, a Jewish Christian teaching series with St. John's Episcopal Church. Um, and I met the associate pastor. Um, and next week, I'm headed to Boston to go hang out with my bestie, who is an Episcopal priest, right? She doesn't live here anymore, but we're still friends and we still talk. Um, we had dinner with you the other night. I just met your, like, these conversations have to just happen. You have to come to things like this. So I encourage you, next year, next season, bring a friend. Bring somebody who maybe doesn't agree with you politically or religiously, but invite somebody to come with you because this is how change is made. This is how friendships build and relationships build. And that's how we change the world, I think. I think part of the problem with all this is social media. I mean, you know, I agree. 30 years ago, yeah, I couldn't, I don't, I don't know what McDonald's thought about this or that issue, or, but now it's, everyone's got a platform, like everybody. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's a good thing. It isn't, it isn't. Again, it's just ambiguous, right? Like it's, Everybody thinks their, their opinion's important and so on, and it's not, you know? And, <laughs> but I don't want to say, like, people shouldn't share their opinions either, right? So it's kind of, this, kind of a mess we find ourselves in um, where one of the, we have a religious community that works in our parish. They didn't have cell phones for a long time, and they have this simplicity of life promise that they make. Um, but at a certain point, their, their adherence to that was creating trouble because it's becoming so part of our society to have a cell phone that they had to get a cell phone, you know, but now that's interfering with, you know what I mean? So there's, this is difficult. So how do we get over it? I don't know. I'm sure you could get rid of social media. Um, I don't see that happening anytime soon, but I feel like that's kind of contributed to this problem. It's contributed to a lot of problems, but realistically, we're not going to stop. We're all addicts. So we might as well just, I don't know. But to even build on that, I mean, we're, we're embodied people. And, and that means in order to know one another, we have to see one another, we have to spend time together, we have to speak, hear words, we have to love, we have to as, humble ourselves when, when it comes to that. And, and increasingly we live in a culture where we, we separate our presence from our, our words and, and our ideas and it, does, and it does lead to that. And so we, we have to consciously be around, develop relationships, love other actual people, and, and allow them to get to know us. And that's why we're all happy that you're here. Go ahead. I was going to do what you're doing, but go ahead. Thank you all for being here, and thank you thank to you all, all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey there, Vanessa here again. Have I told y'all lately how much I love, love, love the God Squad? I just think these folks could solve all our problems if we cleared some space for this bridging approach instead of being us versus them all the time. And that doesn't mean that we have to agree, you guys. Our goal is to disagree and still keep talking. All right, here are a couple of my favorite moments from this program. I loved Stephanie's banking slash terrorist example to show us that there is probably a line somewhere that we don't want to cross. And then Gary built on that by complicating the narrative, one of our favorite things. He complicated the narrative away from binary choices of left and right. And instead, he talked about there being a continuum where people fall at different points on a line. And of course, our spot on the line can and probably does vary by issue. I think that is so important to remember in these divisive times when the professional polarizers are trying to make us think that half of America is evil and holds one set of positions altogether, all of them together, one set of positions. That's just not reality. And when we complicate the narrative, we can find that out. So let's all try to reject binary thinking. It's killing America.
All right. So my other favorite moment was Father Tim talking about being conflicted on this topic in general. He talked about how sometimes he doesn't want to know. He just wants to eat a hamburger. But then he also feels it's his responsibility to know. I found his honesty comforting and oh so human. And I definitely relate to that. This left me thinking about how we each have our top issues where we likely won't choose to look the other way. But on the other hand, if we're expected to fall on the sword over every issue of our quote unquote side, we will probably never eat out. We might have to make our own clothes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So can it be okay for people to have their own areas of passion And do we have to judge so harshly when our passion areas don't line up? Big things to ponder, y'all. I also thought Jermaine's comments were exceptional, but you couldn't tell it was his first time on the God Squad. And y'all, we totally lucked out with having a man of faith and banking expert all wrapped into one person. I should be acting like that was planned, but you know, now you know my secret. All right, now my final thought to leave you with. Over the weekend, I was in a group of people debating the Budweiser trans bottle, and it reminded me of this God Squad program right here. Well, the primary opinion of this group of conservative-leaning folks, I would say, if I had to guess, was that it was a dumb move on Budweiser's part because of the backlash from their primary market. So I found myself wondering, did this start as a marketing tactic And perhaps did Budweiser misread their audience? Or did they take a progressive stance because they felt it was the right thing to do? And then that led me to another thought. If we knew the answer to that question, does it change how we feel about the issue in general? I'm just going to leave that right there for y'all to think about. I find all of this fascinating. All right. Please consider joining our members in supporting this important programming. You can become a member for just $7 a month or $76 a year, and your business can join for $250. Go to villagesquare.us slash donate to join today. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with everything happening at the Village Square. Go to villagesquare.us and scroll to the bottom for the sign-up box. Funding for this program was provided through a grant from Florida Humanities with funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Check out Florida Humanities online at floridahumanities.org. The Village Square is a proud member of the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts that examines what's broken in our democracy and how we can work together to fix it. Check them out for more great shows like this one. We appreciate you listening to... Political Football Inc. with the God Squad. Until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon, and thanks so much for listening to Village Squarecast. Squarecast.